Hey. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this so late. Um, yeah, that's we, okay. We normally don't get the opportunity to actually interview anybody this late unless they're local. Yeah. Um, but uh, thanks again uh, for doing this. I know it's been uh, we've been how long has it been? Almost been a, a year since yeah. we've been stalking her for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> so I've kind of already hit record, Sarah. We kind of we kind of okay. just go with it uh, when we're interviewing somebody. So let me just. Let me just start here and say uh, welcome. Uh, I'd like I'd love to introduce Sarah Kuhn, who is a very talented author. She's just a nerd like us, which is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote a book last year that caught my eye because of my daughters um, not having some something to look forward to. Um, sometimes it feels like there's not a lot of superhero stuff for for girls, um, but they're not that age yet. They're kind of one in five, but I'm still mm. looking for stuff for them. Um, so that that book was called Heroin Complex. Um, so it had it had like all the trifecta for me. It was about it was about a teenager girl. She was a superhero, and she was Asian. It had like the trifecta for me. <laughs> She's actually in her twenties. <laughs> oh well, I meant uh, like for when my daughter can read it. Yes. Well, it, have you read it? Yeah, but we both have, but it's been a while. Yeah, it has it has a bit of adult content, so I like to make sure people know that going in. She, she's heard me curse plenty of times, okay. so she's well prepared for your book. Okay, okay. <laughs> just making sure. I I've had some people ask me about that, and then decide not to share it with their children. So I just like to make sure people know that. Well, I'm not going to share now. But. Yeah. No, it, it's can, up to you to decide when you, you want to. You could that read it out video. loud. You could read it and just leave out the curse words. You know, just let, that means, dang it. You well, know, they've, uh, they've, they've actually uh, they've actually caught me watching The Walking Dead a few times, and I just kind of oh, no. just I'm kind of caught up in the scene. So I kind of just let it play out. <laughs> I, remember, I remember my daughter pointing at the screen when she was only two. She's five now. And she looked at one of the zombies, and, like, the zombie's course was, like, all fucked up. And, and she's, like, she points at the screen and says, owie. I'm, like, all right, I got to turn the shit off. So. <laughs> That's a big owie. Yeah, kind of a big one. Um, I, I read the book also, and I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm actually looking Thanks. forward to the, the next book, of course, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, I just wanted to get into it and talk a little bit about Heroin uh, Complex. And uh, what were your – so what were your inspirations uh, for Avita and Evie? Uh, it's actually Aveda and Evie. Aveda <laughs> and Evie, of course. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I, you know, it's Evie. Aveda. It's Evelyn, so sometimes you link to Evie, but it's Evie. Evie. Um, and it's Aveda, like the, the hair care product. The hair care product, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, there were a few things. Um one was just I grew up on comic books, especially like Marvel X-Men comic books and mm. uh, lots of superhero stuff. And also, um, I really love uh, Hong Kong action movies. And so there's a little bit nice. of that in there, too. Um, and, you know, I'm a spoiler alert Asian and, um, <laughs> no, I just I, I you know, I felt like there wasn't there's not a lot growing up that didn't like that really centered um especially women of color in those roles mm-hmm. um so i always felt a little bit to the side and uh also i like writing about um female friendships complicated female friendships i feel like that's something that um is becoming more popular i guess but 
uh, certainly when I started writing it was not uh, foregrounded as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to write about, you know, these two girls who have a really long, complicated friendship that they need to work on and how they sort of go about doing that. It had a very, um, like, you're probably sick of hearing this, but it had a very, like, Devil Wears Prada, like, yes, kind of yes. thing to it, which I picked up on right away. But I, I like that. Um, so, yeah, they're pretty, I mean, they're pretty unconventional you know, superheroes, at least they're, they're, was there an origin story in there? Cause I'm trying to remember now, like I, I remember them looking at a movie poster of some kind mm-hmm. and them talking about how they love that they finally had some representation. So it was almost like representation within the representation. Yeah. Like, so I thought that was really cool. Um, so we talked a little bit about cursing early on. So mm-hmm. was that a very conscious effort? Like, was that to make it more realistic or did you? Have, um, like, no, that's, that's just how I talk. Um, oh, I, I, fucking um, love it. I, I wrote love this, I wrote this novella uh, that was the first sort of fiction that got me a little bit of attention. Um, it was called one con glory. It's like a rom-com <laughs> set at a comic book convention. There are no superpowers. It's very, it's just, it's in the real world. So we call contemporary. Um, But uh, I swore a lot in that. And so much so that, you know, people actually kind of have commented on it. And I actually tried to dial it back a little bit in this book, um, just because I don't want it to seem like it's an affectation or something. But Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, that's just how me and a lot of my friends talk. So... That's, well, that's what I kind of, you know, when I was reading that, I was like, this feels like if me and my friends were just hanging out or it feels like what I would be thinking in my head or something like that. Yeah, it's, I guess, trying for a little bit of realism. I I also have been, um, I was a journalist for a long time and I worked in a lot of newsrooms and those are just amazing Mm. pits of profanity. So (laughs) (laughs) I guess some of it came from that. Oh, wow. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, there really isn't obviously a lot of um, uh, Asian superheroes out there. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to think of what other, like, I'm trying to really think hard right now. What other type of uh, Asian superheroes are there out there? Like, I know there's bad guys. There's like the Mandarin, you know, for <laughs> Iron Man, you know, the, there's yeah. uh, not a lever, not a lot of representation out there. And, and one of the things that, that Vic and I have been talking about quite a bit is, um, is, uh, well, recently, you know, Iron Fist came out and all that stuff and the huge controversy over mm-hmm. that, how they kind of missed, it was a big missed opportunity to make that character Asian and they should have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've watched that show or not yet. It is no, I haven't. It, it is. It is beyond uh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, guy can't even do kung fu. Um, okay, so one con glory. Um, might as well talk about that. So, so that's set in. You've done. Have you done a lot of cons, like Comic Con oh, yeah. or Wonder Con? Well, first, did okay. you want me to talk about some of the Asian superheroes that exist? Or yes, okay. yes, you got the okay. Because they do, they do exist. There just aren't as many of them, especially when I was a kid. So, um, okay, 
like obviously there's Jubilee, uh, who I've written about a lot, and um, I have a weird relationship with Jubilee because I was happy she was there, but I, I also felt like um, she wasn't necessarily like the personality I connected to when I was younger. Um, she's very cheerful <laughs> and perky, <laughs> and I wasn't really like that. Um, so it's sort of this weird thing where, like, sometimes when you have limited representation, it's hard because you feel like you should be grateful, but at the same time, maybe it doesn't totally represent you. And now, of course, I love Jubilee. I, she's, like, one of my favorite characters. <laughs> but um, uh, there is also, um, well, Psylocke is a whole thing, which I don't think, I think is too, like, crazy to get into, but... I recommend a podcast called Explain the X-Men, which explains uh, the the complications of Psylocke in great detail. Was, um, she, was she in the last X-Men yes, Apocalypse she movie? Was, okay, she Olivia was Munn. played by Olivia Munn. Um, basically, her origin story is very convoluted, but basically the end result of Psylocke is she is actually a white British woman in the body uh-huh. of a Japanese ninja. Um, oh. So there's like... A lot going on there. That sounds like Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> it is. Kind of, it's like a reverse Ghost in the Shell. Right. You've seen the movie. Um, I have. There's some stuff going on there. But, um, yeah, so that's a little bit complicated. And then, um, actually, Colleen Wing. Um, oh, yes. You know, who is in Iron Fist, um, much to my dismay, and played by Jessica Henwick, who I love. Yes. Um, is in canon mixed race and I'm mixed race Asian. So that was like, that character meant a lot to me and I'm really sad that she's stuck on that show. Um, yeah, me too. Cause Vic and I've talked to that extensively. Like she was so awesome. I yeah. think in the first half of that movie, then as soon as they slept together, spoilers, uh, she became just a normal female character. Like you see all the time. And that really bugged us. It yeah. didn't she's, represent she's great. Yeah. She should get yeah. more to do, but and then there was um, Cassandra Kane, who was um, a Batgirl um, years back. And I'm actually not sure what the status of Cassandra Kane is now, but she was always a character I really dug. So those are some characters sort of in the Marvel DC-verse. And then um, in the book, uh, the poster you referenced is a poster for a movie called The Heroic Trio. And that actually yes. is a real movie. Um, it's a Hong Kong action movie from, I believe, the 90s. And it stars um, Michelle Yeoh, Anita Mui, and Ma- Maggie Chung. So it's mm. sort of like these three powerhouses of Hong Kong cinema. And um, I saw that movie when I was in college. Um, I didn't know until then that it existed. And it actually sort of blew my mind because it's like, it's three Asian women being superheroes. And there's really, <laughs> there's really never any question about, you know, whether they should be doing it. Um, the men in their lives are very ancillary Um, and it's just kind of about them and it's really great. So I put that in the book because it certainly gave, you know, it gave me a lot of inspiration and I thought it would give the characters a lot of inspiration as children. I love that part because for me it felt like, so the characters within the book are influenced by that. You're influenced by that. The people Mm -hmm. hopefully that are reading the book are being influenced. I mean, it's all just, it's all very, I don't know, reciprocal, a lot of synergy going on there, whatever you, all these fancy words, Mm -hmm. but it, yeah, I I just really dug that about that part um, that kind of stuck out in my mind. 
As you know, Sarah, this is our special podcast, um, championing, uh, women in media. Um, we're going to call it, uh, chew on this embraces our feminine side. We already had Amy on here. Um, we have one other lined up and what I'd like to dive into right now is some of the things that might or might not have gone on, um, in your past growing up, um, that dealt with nerd or geek culture and you basically had to take a step back and say, holy shit, I can't believe this person actually said that to me or I can't believe that this actually just took place. <laughs> um, well, uh, you, uh, I think going back a little bit, we um, were talking a little bit about uh, conventions and fandom and things like that. And, um, you know, I've been a geek pretty much my whole life. Um, but... I would say that space has not always been super welcoming. Um, certainly when I was kind of starting to get out and go to conventions and seeing the bigger world of geekdom, uh, I definitely felt like a lot of the men there needed me to prove my authenticity. Um, and certainly did that to like, a lot of women who were in that space. And it's always struck me as a little bit, I, it's just odd because there seems to be this assumption. And I feel like I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute. I feel like it's getting better, but I, I feel like there's this assumption that women apparently didn't grow up liking the same things that guys did. There was no way any of us could have liked Ghostbusters or Star Wars, even though those were like the biggest movies of their time periods, you know, and, and also kind of endured. So I don't understand why no one think like people think that women don't like that stuff or didn't have the same like passionate connection to it that, that men did. Um, so it, it's been kind of, um, an interesting, I guess, battle of sorts. Um, I feel like we've seen a lot of change, um, especially in the last few years. I mean, I think it was in, uh, I want to say 2010, I was on a panel at Comic-Con in San Diego that was called Geek Girls Exist. And when I got asked to be on that panel, I was like, is that really, is that like a thing we still have to prove? Like, I feel like that's pretty obvious. But um, <laughs> What do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's just, but then, like, there was a sign outside the panel room that had the title, Geek Girls Exist, and someone wrote in marker, like, under it, you lie. Like, they're like, oh, no, that's man. not true. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, from there, I felt like, I don't know if it was, you know, that panel in my mindset that kind of started to change things, but... That panel was packed. Um, the audience was, I would say, mostly women um, who just were dying to see that there were other, you know, that we were all coming together as women in fandom. And I think, uh, you know, obviously the Internet's changed a lot of things. Um, I feel like Twitter is kind of the place where I found other geek girls, other girls who grew up being the only girl in the comics, comic book store. Um, I think that's actually how Amy and I met on Twitter. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you. That's how I kind of like met her. And then I like kind of put her name together because I saw her name in your book. Yeah, yeah. So I reached out to her, yeah. She and I, um, yeah, we became really good friends. And I actually don't even remember the first time we met. I think it was just through those sort of geek girl circles on Twitter. And I feel like that has allowed us to come together and sort of be a force and sort of be like, you know what? We don't have to prove anything to anyone. We can just hang out and have fun together. And if guys like want to hang out with us too, that's fine. Um, but I certainly don't feel like I need anyone's approval anymore to be in that space. If I ever did. I mean, I feel, I feel like before, um, I was just getting that vibe so much that I had to prove myself. And now if I get it at all, I'm like, well, I don't care because I've probably been here longer than you have. Um, I probably (laughs) know more about the X-Men than you have. I wrote a superhero book and I wrote a romantic comedy set at a comic book convention. So I really don't feel like I have to prove my cred anymore. And if you want to believe it, you can. And if you don't, then that is sad for you. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've got you've definitely got the nerd cred um that's for damn sure i feel like even if you like even if you're like just getting into it and this is one of the things that still like kind of just makes me crazy about the geek space is even if you're just getting into it like that should be encouraged like the excitement the enthusiasm whatever you just read Harry Potter for the first time and you loved it and you want more of that and you want to meet people who like it as much as you, that should be encouraged. I don't understand why there's this thing where like some people in the community are so obsessed with keeping other people out of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, I think people we we told we t- I tell the story all the time because it, it shows the exact opposite of what people's reactions were when they were about not you know you know you know you know about you know having four women <laughs> being Ghostbusters. We uh, we gave a contest. We had a contest, and uh, uh, a mother won it. Gave it to her husband and her daughter to watch the movie, and immediately after Ghostbusters was finished, she turned to her father and said, "I want to mm-hmm. watch the original one." A girl, like she was, what, like like nine that, or ten, yeah. maybe she would have never asked to watch. She would probably never even known about Ghostbusters um, until you know that movie yeah. came out. If it was never made with the four women, she would have never went to go yeah. see it. And you know, now she they've created a brand yeah. new fan. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, it's kind of like the same. I know we talked about Zootopia. We talked about a lot of different things where girls are, they're getting the message. They're looking at that going like, hey, I can be whatever I want to be. Yeah. You know, um, and I like that kind of, I like that kind of message. I mean, it kind of, it's universal, but um, I think those, those particular movies or books and things uh, are kind of targeted for that. You know, yeah. For, well, I think it's the kind of thing where like, and I've talked about this a lot, especially with regards to heroin conflicts, but I feel like if, if you never see yourself centered in a narrative, you don't know that's possible. And you sort of don't know that it's even possible in real life in a way. Like you don't know that you can actually like be the star of your own story or your own life or whatever. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we're getting to a place where we do have, have a lot of women centered in those properties and it's not weird. Like it's not even a question. It's just sort of something that is. 
I think it's I think the worst thing a writer or director ever does when it comes to um, trying to give an excuse for not doing it uh, like correctly portraying the the race or whatever it's supposed to be like a ghost in the shell their excuses are always not thinking it's just about just race it's more than that it's the culture behind it yeah um one of the things i didn't go see the movie bj went to go see ghost in the shell but one of the things that bothered me the most finding out about it was that there was a whole japanese background to it yeah yeah. And then they decided to turn her white, and I was like, "You just wrote that in to turn her white, but she, but her mother and or whoever and her don't act like they're Japanese." And that was a, there was an article I read today about it. Oh, is it uh, the or, THR roundtable? Yes, with the four that women. That was like all my friends. <laughs> no way! Oh, oh my gosh! Keiko, Keiko Gena, Atsuko Okaska, and uh, Tracy Katokiriyama, um are. They're all like forces in the Asian American arts community up here. Very, and very, very intelligent good friends of mine. And Rebecca Stein, uh, who put the um, who put the roundtable together, uh, she and I recorded another podcast, which I'm not sure if I can say what it is yet. But we basically talked. To, we saw the movie and also talked about. Oh, it. So, I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> but yeah, it was super interesting because it was like. I don't know, like one thing, and we talked about this a lot on the podcast, but like one thing that I always talk about is um, this idea, like I know where it's coming from and I know it's like well-meaning, but I hate it when people say that characters just happen to be something, like this character just happens to be Asian or this character just happens to be whatever. And I understand that the, the intent behind that is to say, this story is maybe not all about that. It's not a suffering story about, you know, fighting racism or whatever. And certainly the stories that I try to tell are not all about being Asian. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think, I don't ever write a character that just happens to be something because I feel like whatever identity you are, it informs all of your experience in small and large ways. And to ignore that is to write a bad character. And I felt like, in Ghost in the Shell, they had no understanding of that. They didn't understand that, like, if I, like, if I suddenly woke up in Scarlett Johansson's body, well, first of all, I would try to do all the athletic things I can't do in my body. <laughs> but I would also be very, like, there are certain ways that I would be really traumatized, you know? And there's there are a lot of implications about that. And there are a lot of things that I think, a woman of color would feel like waking up in that body or, you know, or figuring out that that's who they used to be um, like they do in the movie. And they just, they were so unaware of that. They didn't understand that there was no, like it was it, that the, the consciousness in the body could have been anyone. It didn't, it didn't have to be a Japanese woman. It, there was no like specificity there, except that they cast a Japanese actress as her mother um, and mm. as the ladies talked about in the round table, didn't like, you know, had them hug and it was like, Oh, that's not really a thing. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I was thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. There's a part where the Japanese mom, like just invites like Scarlett Johansson into her apartment and we're like, no, I don't think that would happen. <laughs> like that's super weird. I, I looked at IMDb. I don't think a, a single Japanese person was on the production, like writing or directing or um, someone sitting there going like, uh, this is not 
what would happen. Like, why are we doing this? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, it was ridiculous. It's very weird. And I don't like, well, I don't know. Obviously there were a lot of bad decisions made in yeah. that movie, but um, yeah. So uh, we, I have seen it and we talked a lot about that. That's so funny that that was the article. I, I really, I did not know that you knew those women. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because like, I'm like, Oh, this stereotype is that like all Asian people know each other. And I'm like, Oh, what I do, what I do, know, I, I do like there are three of them in the round table. I do, or four of them in the round table. I'm like, I know three out of four of them. And I know the woman who put it together. Well, not, not all Asians know each other because I didn't know you knew them. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I guess a lot of Asians in L.A. know each other. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so speaking of, like, going on along with this this whole controversy thing, and I, I believe you said you were Japanese-American, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm Hapa. I'm half Japanese, and then the other half is, like, German-English mutt. Okay. Nice. And so... I, I feel your exact pain when – it's probably a good thing I was never invited to a roundtable like that because I probably would have cursed <laughs> a lot like we did on our podcast, which, by the way, you could curse on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, and as much yeah. as you want. Um, somehow our interviews always stay clean, though. I don't know why, even though we tell them that. Um, Maybe people are just, like, watching themselves a little bit. Oh, that could be it. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, possibly. So for Ghost in the Shell, you know, your views on it, because you're Japanese, I'm Chinese, so like there are certain things I would not even have known about that culture. Uh, that those th- when I was reading the article about the the hugging, you know, I, I didn't even yeah. think about that because I'm yeah. not Japanese, right? I'm Asian, but I'm yeah. not Japanese. So even yeah. that kind of a difference makes a big yeah. deal. Um, there's other things that happened in the past year, um, you know. Of course, the Iron Fist, uh, which yeah. we said was a missed opportunity until we saw the actual show. And it's more than a missed opportunity. It's like, I don't even understand what you were trying to do. <laughs> it's, it's a piece of shit. It, it really just is. A, just on the show. And we had to, uh, not not yeah. the controversy stuff. I watched it with just critic eyes, and it was terrible. Well, I think that, that like that's an interesting thing to talk about, too, because um, not to bring everything back to Ghost in the Shell, but we were talking <laughs> about Ghost in the Shell. I think like sometimes there's this idea that it's like, okay, what is this, what is this property or what is this piece of entertainment? Like how, what is the quality of it apart from the whitewashing or the white savior complex or whatever the thing is that's sort of causing the controversy, right? Like what is, what is the the product like apart from that? How is the quality? And what I wish that people would get is that those two things are not separate. Um, like mm. the fact that they didn't think about sort of who these characters were in Ghost in the Shell and how their identities inform their experience means that that's a bad story. Like, they're bad characters. So the quality is goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Yeah. Um, and with something like Iron Fist, which I haven't seen yet, um, but I feel like we've seen so many white savior narratives at this point. It's like, how can that not be tired? Um, so again, and also you're like, from what it sounds like, you're seeing, uh, sort of these characters around him, like Colleen Wing, who are clearly superior, like, or like better (laughs) fighters and like better at everything. And they're being sort of shunted to the side. And again, that's bad storytelling. Um, Mm -hmm. so I feel like a lot of times those issues are actually all tied up together 
And what I sort of wish people would realize is that if you think about these things, you can actually tell a better story. You can tell a more human story. You can tell a story with characters who have better motivations. And you can tell a story we haven't seen a thousand times before. Everything you just mentioned about all these things that writers should think about, that's essentially the issue with these type of movies that don't think about Mm -hmm. those things. Um, not so much more, not so much Doctor Strange with the ancient one. That was just straight whitewashing, and <laughs> I still haven't oh, seen okay. that. I can't even. I can't. I can't deal with it. I'm like this. I I cannot deal with this movie. Um, yeah, I for the most part, I try to avoid those things just because I know at this point that watching them will make me angry. <laughs> but because for Ghost in the Shell, um, I had a special request, and it was work related. And by, mm. like, I saw it on Sunday, like, the movie was already tanking anyway, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll go see this one thing and see how it is. I, I, I just get upset when they say, like, we're updating it, right? But they don't, it's, okay, so Ghost in the Shell, they updated it to make it that weird situation. Yeah. But in Iron Fist, they didn't update it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in Doctor Strange, like, I thought, um... Again, like the ladies in the Hollywood Roundtable, um, I think Tracy uh, Katokiriyama and uh, Atsuko uh, talked about this kind of at length. Um, but this idea that, like, well, if we made if we kept the ancient one Asian, it would be a stereotype. It's uh. like, well, then make write it so it's not a stereotype. Right. Like that's actually what the problem is. It's not that an Asian character is like you know, an all-knowing mystic or an Asian character, you know, knows martial arts, it's that it's written as a stereotype. Like, you can have an Asian character who's good at martial arts who's not a stereotype, just don't write that Right, exactly. That's that's how the director tried to, like, after he came out and said, like, yeah, I wish we didn't do that, because the I think they changed their story, like, three times. Once, the first, I think it was, uh, we couldn't do it because... Tibet and China have 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 beef. That was the first thing they said. Yeah. The second thing I think it was that they wanted to change it into a woman. And then yeah. when he finally came out and spoke, he said, "I wish we hadn't done that." But every time I tried to write a strong Asian woman, it ended up being like a dragon lady. And I'm like, right. "What? Wait." So, and what was crazy to me was no article picked up on the fact that he just inherently just said something that he views like that is fucking racist as shit that he views all strong smart powerful asian women as like a stereotype yeah that's i mean that's what it goes back to it's like if you can't you know you're a writer use your imagination if you can't visualize this beyond the stereotype that you've seen all your life then that's actually your fault (laughs) like that's something you need to work on you know, and, and Tilda Swinton, like, you know, if we watched the movie and we love Tilda Swinton. So it was really frustrating yeah. to like, because she's really good, but then she opened her mouth later on I and know. then it was like, God damn it. Yeah. You know, like it's, you fucked it up even worse. Frustrating for me, like with all these, cause you know, I love Emma Stone right? and now I feel sort of betrayed by Emma <laughs> yeah. Stone. Just because so, uh, just yeah. she has yeah. slightly yeah. squinty eyes, she's yeah. fucking half Asian. <laughs> the fuck I is that? Just, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, that's Cameron Crowe too, but yeah, that's yeah. The I, they yeah. just, I don't know. Like again, there was like no thought put into that, but yeah. Whenever, like, 
I know a lot of it is like the machine and the directing and the writing, but some of the actors, especially since they're always like pretty famous actors, I'm sort of like, okay, you really need to think about this. Like you don't have to take that part. Well, someone came out and said, you know, they did, they hired Scarlett to get butts in the seats. And yeah, look how that turned out. I know, it did, it clearly it's a shitty movie. did not happen. It, I don't think no. there are stars that like, We've talked a little, I've talked a little bit about this too with different people, but I, I think that's such an outdated way of thinking too, because I don't think there, there is actually a movie star that opens movies anymore. Like it might give you a little bit of um, leverage as far as getting like invest, like initial investors, if you're not going through a studio or like foreign sales or whatever. But I, I just, I can't think of like a movie star who hasn't had a disappointment in the last Three to five Unless years. they weren't attached to a yeah, Marvel movie. So. Yeah, and then it's like, it's not them opening it. I mean, Marvel movies have no problem casting white guys who aren't really known for anything, who are named Chris, um, <laughs> and making stars out of them. And I think in the, again, in the THR roundtable, I think it was Keiko, again, who made the point that, like, if you had cast an Asian or an Asian American actress in this role, you could have made her a star. Like, Absolutely. That's how that works. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But I think, I think you're right, though. It, we, I, it's funny that you bring that up because when, as you were saying that, I, I had just watched Commando before this podcast. Mm-hmm. And that, that was back in the day. It didn't matter in the 80s and the 90s, early 90s, I think, uh, to mid maybe – that it didn't matter what that person was in, they were going to put butts in the seat. Like, it, it didn't matter how stupid yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's next movie was going to be. You were going to go see that movie. Yeah, and there, you're right. Sure. There's nobody like that. Even a Chris Pratt movie. Like, I love Chris Pratt, but I didn't go see Passengers. Yeah. And a lot of, like, I love Chris Pratt, too. I I think a lot of um, his successes, like, recently are attached to giant yeah. franchises. Like, mm-hmm. things that already have... You know, things that already have the name that they don't necessarily need, uh, like a star helps, but it, they don't necessarily need a star to sell that, to sell like Jurassic Park to you. Or Tom Cruise in The Mummy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, don't get me started on that. I, I was like, oh, what, where's Brendan Fraser? Come on. Um, so, Sarah, do you have any kind of like advice for someone who wants to break into your industry? I know you've you've probably had some obstacles and whatnot. I mm-hmm. think we talked a little bit about that, but like, what, what someone that wants to get into what you're doing, like, what what kind of advice would you have for them? <laughs> I feel like I well, I, I feel like I always have that advice of like, don't do it; it's really hard. But um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I I definitely want to see, especially um, you know, young women of color be encouraged um, mm. and believe this is something they can do because it is. Um, I, I think that a lot of it is just, you know, take the time to focus on your craft, on your work, uh, Mm. because there's certainly a lot of like, I don't know, talk now about, oh, you have to have a brand and you have to like, you have to have like a million Twitter followers before you even (sighs) try to get an agent and like all this stuff. And I don't think it actually matters. Like, I feel like maybe this is naive but I feel like it is still about the quality of the work and if you write a really good book um, hopefully someone will eventually pay attention Mm -hmm. Um, you know again like it's so like 
it's so hard to say that because I know there are like great books out there that get an, it get ignored. Um, yeah. And, you know, it might take a writer a couple books before they find an agent or they find a publisher. But, you know, I think just do it. Just concentrate on your writing, like figure out what is the story you want to tell. Tell the story only you can tell, because I think that's another thing is a lot of people mm. like try to give this advice about pay attention to the market, look what's selling, blah, blah, blah. And it's always like nobody that I feel like the, like the quote unquote secret is that nobody actually knows shit about the market. Nobody knows right. what is going to be successful. A lot of times the things that are successful are, you know, out of nowhere. And then they, they spark these like giant trends that end up taking like over. But I don't know, just, yeah. Yeah. Like Harry Potter was rejected so many times. Um, or but then like, all the um, followers after that, especially uh, movie-wise. Yeah, and then everybody wants kind of the imitation. Um, but, you know, I just concentrate on this a story that you're passionate about telling that you can finish. Um, that's another thing is, like, finish the book or the article or whatever it is you're writing. Finish it because then you can, you know, it's easier to fix something that's actually finished than just to sort of keep hammering away is something that you're never going to finish. Um, I have to, I have to totally agree with you there because um, I know, you know, when we started the podcast, I think I've talked about this before, but I had a lot of like crazy lofty goals that I was just going off in my head and I had to reel myself in and go like, well, wait a minute, you know, we really need to focus on the content and put it on a good product and yeah. make sure it's on time, you know, advertise it well on Facebook, you know, just kind of talk about it a little bit. And, and hopefully over time, it'll start growing. Mm -hmm. And over the last year, it's been, you know, such a, a wonderful experience. We've met a lot of nice people like yourself and, and, um, and had some really good solid, um, you know, stuff that we've talked about mm -hmm. in the past and, um, and a lot of stuff coming up in the future. So I have to agree with you. It's like, just put your head down, do the work and things will start happening eventually. I mean, whether it won't happen tomorrow, but it's going to yeah. happen well, you know, if you just keep working on it. You'll at the very least finish something, um, which I mm. think is, is positive. Um, and then just, you know, I, another thing I certainly believe in, um, and again, like, I feel like any writing advice or any career advice, whatever that someone in like a creative industry is giving, it should always be sort of prefaced by if this works for you, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's just really whatever helps you get the book finished, whatever helps you, you know, get to the next goal you want to get to. It's whatever you work, whatever works for you. And I feel like different things work for different people and, I get really annoyed when people try to give this like advice that is supposedly applies to everyone. Cause I feel like most advice with something like writing doesn't really apply to everyone. Um, but also like the other thing that certainly has helped me is um, finding strong communities. Um, writing can be really lonely. Uh, it's just kind of you in your head a lot. And I, I think that one of the things that I really like benefited from is meeting other writers, um, meeting other Asian American creatives and sort of being able to have this feeling like we're in this together. Um, you know, we can celebrate each other's successes. We can commiserate over failures or setbacks and we can sort of, it, it's, it sort of, I think helps productivity to just have people around you who mm. are kind of doing the same thing. 
Um, so, you know, I, I have my, my times where I just need to be like, you know, by myself, locked away, <laughs> finishing a book. But for the most part, I really have benefited from finding those communities and feeling like, you know, we're doing this crazy, slightly ill-advised <laughs> profession together. Yeah, the writing community that you talk about, um, is, is Amy part of that where you're, you're kind of just in a coffee shop writing with Amy? Is there... <laughs> well, I have a few. Um, there's sort of like all, you know, some of them cross over. Like there's That's a bunch name of name drop. Do some name <laughs> dropping. I mean, well, there's like, they're like made up of a bunch of different people, but like there's, um, one of them is the, is called the Shamers. It's a right. It's kind of like a sprawling writing group. It's people who work in all different kinds of writing. Um, you know, TV, um, uh, TV books, essays, uh, journalists, and that's a group, a group that will sort of get together in coffee shops and shame each other into writing. Um, and that's super helpful. Um, I'm part of, you know, some different kind of Asian American creative collectives, especially of women that really support each other. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like Amy and I are kind of part of a, a great geek girl community that <laughs> sort of does, you know, not just writing, but all different things. Um, and I feel like we support each other as well. So I, I have, I get a lot of value out of being part of multiple communities and sort of being able to share those experiences with people. So speaking of writing, you're about to go on another book tour. You kind of already started. I think you were at WonderCon this past weekend. I was at WonderCon. Yes. Internet stalking. I told you. Um, <laughs> So you have a new book that's tour that you're touring about right now, correct? Well, it's coming or out starting. In, coming out in July. Um, it's I believe the release date is actually July fourth, and so it's about a year after the first one, and it's a sequel. Um, cool. It's called uh, Heroin Worship, and it is set in the same world, and it is from the point of view of Aveda Jupiter. Um, who is, you know, the best friend slash frenemy from the first book. Um, <laughs> right. We're kind of going to get a little more of her perspective and how she sees things. And um, there's a romance again. And it's, it's yeah, it's like a continuation of the story, but from a different view. Different point of view. Mm -hmm. awesome. That's interesting. That's really interesting to do it that way. Um, I, I kind of knew what you were on. I just wanted you to plug it yourself <laughs> better, better than I could. So I knew it was coming out, but I just wanted you to talk about it more because um, this is something that we really enjoyed um, coming from an Asian nerd um, with a father of two girls. So it was really important for us to get you on the show. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, BJ, you got something about the, the book tour and something else? Uh Yes. Um, well, is there? I mean, besides the book, mm -hmm. I mean, do you have anything else that uh, that you'd like to plug? I mean, do you have a website? Uh, do you have sure uh, all um, that you, good stuff? Like, you can always find out what I'm working on at heroincomplex.com. That's heroin like superheroin, not like drugs. Um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, I'm also on Twitter. It's just my name, Sarah Kuhn, and it's like I'm usually on there when the most when I'm supposed to be doing something else like finishing a book. Um, and I have some comics coming out. Um, I, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm working uh, currently on a little series of Barbie comics. Um, they're like 
little 50 page graphic novels. Um, the first one is out. The second one is coming out later this year. Um, so, and those two are about Barbie, um, pursuing her career in fashion and, uh, all, you know, the main Barbie is of course the Barbie that we all sort of know and are familiar with, but all the supporting characters are, um, well, one of my editors called BOC, they're Barbies of color. Um, so we actually have this character who is Barbie's, um, like fashion idol, like this big designer that Barbie looks up to. And her name is Whitney Yang. And nice. uh, she's like Perfect. a cool Asian American girl designer, um, so that's pretty cool. That's a lot of fun to work on. And then um, wait, when does when does Barbie get her superpowers? <laughs> well, there's actually there's <laughs> actually another Barbie. Uh, the, this is a um, a new license. I think it started last year, maybe the year before, for the company Paper Cuts, and they sort of like launched this line of Barbie comics. So there's mine, which is, um, I, it's just called Barbie. And then there's, um, I think it's called Barbie Starlight, which is actually Barbie in space. It's like, she's like a space princess. Um, <laughs> and uh, that one's written by Teeny Howard. And I can't remember who the artist is, but if you look it up, I'm sure um, it's listed online. Uh, the artists on the, the two books I've done, the first one was um, Aletha Martinez, who's awesome. And uh, the second one is uh, Yi Shun Li, who's also awesome and draws super adorable outfits. Um, so yeah, there's like kind of a whole Barbie verse <laughs> that's being built in that's those cool. books. And then uh, I'm also working on um, co-writing with my friend Amber Benson and with art by Siobhan Keenan for Boom Studios. Uh, we are writing a uh, Clueless comic book. And oh wow. It's, oh wow! Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a while. It is a continuation. We're not calling it a sequel. It's a continuation <laughs> of Clueless. Um, it's basically um, Cher, Dion, and Ty their senior year. Oh, um, right on! And I'm not. Sh- I think that's coming out later this year. Um, we're still working on it, but that's. I'm- I may check that out. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds kind of cool. We're like huge, huge Clueless fans. And our editor, uh, Shannon Waters, is also a huge Clueless fan. So it's been really fun to work on because that's like a movie that you can just watch over and over. And it still holds up. Amy Heckerling is such a brilliant writer. Oh, yeah. She's Um, great. So you mentioned – you said Amber – who again? Amber Amber Benson. Benson. Is that name sounds really familiar? She is a writer. Um, she's novelist. She's written several urban fantasy series, okay. and she was also in a show you might have heard of called Buffy, Buffy. the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yes, I, I met her at a couple of cons. That's yeah. why my ears pricked up. I was like, "Wait, Amber Benson? Wouldn't yeah. she Willow's girlfriend? Like, come on!" <laughs> <laughs> fat, like, she's one of those people who's like good at everything. So she's That's a fabulous so cool. actor, but she's also a fabulous writer. And um, if you haven't read. Uh, her books, she has a couple series. One is called uh, Death's Daughter, and it's about the daughter of the Grim Reaper. It's very funny. Um, and then she had a, uh, she has one that uh, the last book is coming out this year. It's called The Witches of Echo Park, and it's about a coven uh, here in Los Angeles. And it's, again, in that, like, urban fantasy sort of uh, subgenre. Um, so yeah, they, if, especially if you liked, uh, heroin complex, those are yes. two series you would probably enjoy. Oh, That's, right on. This, this whole entire podcast feels like there's, we 
there's just a lot of like coincidences <laughs> because I was just reading an article today about her and why is the actress name escaping me? Whoever played Willow. They oh, were, Allison Hannigan. Yeah, that's Allison right. Hannigan, yeah. They were talking about the relationship uh, in Buffy because the Buffy yeah. anniversary is coming up. And I just read that article today, too. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you'd name drop her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they, um, they did that 20th anniversary photo shoot yeah. for um, yes. Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> yeah. That spoilers for everybody who has not seen Buffy. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you haven't seen it, but spoilers. That death killed me. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. It's Big like time. so trat. It's still one of the like hardest to watch deaths I, in all of I, television. I basically locked it away because I had completely forgotten about it. <laughs> and then when I read the article today, and then now again when you brought up her name again. I live. I relived that death twice today. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, r- rolled a tear. <laughs> so speaking of writers, I, I read somewhere, or I saw a picture, something like that, a while, like a while back, and it got me really excited. But one of our favorite writers and podcasters is uh, Mark Bernardin. Oh, Mark uh, Bernardin. Love, love, love Mark. I love him on. Uh, I mean, I li- we listen to a lot of Kevin Smith podcasts. Yeah. But uh, we love listening to Mark because yeah. he has such an insight. He's such a writer's mind. Yes. Um, I love Mark Bernard. And he's another person who um, I feel so lucky to be friends with. Um, and, you know, I guess I, li- I can say we're, we're colleagues, writing colleagues. But, like, because <laughs> he's another person who I just feel is, like, good at everything he does. So, like, he's good at journalism. He's good at, like, these sort of long-form essays. He's good at podcasting. He's, he's good at screenwriting. Um, and he's another person that I feel like I've, I've just learned a lot from because he's so talented. Um, and just, I think everything he does is super awesome. He's, uh, he's writing for a TV show now. I think it's uh, Stephen King, Stephen King universe. I'm so, so excited about that because that's such a genius idea. Yeah. So it's right on. I can't wait to see the episode that he screenwrites too, because of all of his insights through it. Like, I mean, he did a, he did his own take on the iron fist i don't know if you, oh, if you heard it. Yeah. my favorite um i told him oh, my amazing. favorite quote from that was when he says it's a, a never-ending possible at olive garden of not good <laughs> <laughs> that's right that was, that was towards the beginning right so yeah because cool. he's trying to say like it's not good it's really not good it's a never-ending <laughs> possible at olive garden of not good and i was like i like that you just went all in with that. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Yeah, what was what's great about his too is he did the same thing we did in our podcast which was all he did was talk about the issues with the show structurally. Yeah. Character development all that stuff and didn't even bother mentioning the controversy stuff to the very end. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, it was a really good. It was a very like thoughtful, very smart yes. story analysis review. This is so basically everybody that I've either read about today or things that we like. I wonder what other names we can drop that you're friends with. <laughs> I was just watching Star Wars too. You know, JJ Abrams. <laughs> no, I don't. I, don't I, I know. I, I don't think I know anyone. Uh, super, I was just yeah. trying to try. I was. Oh, I, Avengers was on today too, and I love Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I don't know Robert Downey. No. Jr. Yeah, okay. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. We have what we call the big finish. It's three questions. It's the same questions for every interviewer. Okay. Um, I'm going to go first. 
So the first big finish question is, all-time favorite character can be from any genre. Oh, my God. That's so hard. <laughs> uh, I feel like I would need, um, like, years to think about that. Let me just – well, let me think of, like, who might might spring to mind immediately. I mean, I, I think, like, um, you know, like so many ladies in geekdom, my formative character was Princess Leia. Um, and I still think that she's a brilliant character. I mean, she has so much agency. She's, I love that she's so aggressive Mm -hmm. and that she, um, you know, that she has this romance where she doesn't really have to change that. Like, it's actually like he, like Han Solo likes that she's aggressive. Like, I always really liked that, that she was allowed to be in, in the story that she was allowed to be so, sort of take charge and outspoken and bold. And um, I actually just wrote this piece um, for the website, the book smugglers. They have a thing they put out called the almanac, which is like some more long form essays and short stories and stuff. And um, I wrote this piece for them about the book, um, the courtship of princess Leia, which is uh, part of the expanded universe, which I know is, Mm -hmm. I think is no longer Canon. Um, But it's like about, uh, like right kind of in between um, Return of the Jedi and the Thrawn books by Timothy Zahn that came, that were like came out five first, year, but were like set after. later. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, I was trying to think of like why this book made such an impression on me. And I think it's because in that book, um, Princess Leia is actually allowed to have like sexual desire, <laughs> like an agency is, <laughs> She actually says something like she, she and Han Solo like have this like amazing kiss and then he's like walking away and they sort of had this, this fight earlier about how, you know, he thinks she doesn't like anything about him. And so she's like, no, I, I do like things about you. I like the way your pants fit. Um, and that was like, I was like, oh, I, wow. I forgot that line was like an officially licensed Star Wars book, but I really think <laughs> that it's there. So <laughs> Yeah, I guess like in terms of like formative characters, she would be the one I would pick. What birthday gifts would you get Princess Leia? Oh, well, I don't know. I feel like she has everything. I mean, maybe like um maybe like some fancy barrettes or hairpins so she could like do yet another hairstyle. Um, which I was always <laughs> impressed that she did those so fast. Like every time there's a scene change, she has like a cool different hairstyle. So maybe something like that. I, I don't know if there's anything I could give her. How about a um, how about a bra? Because George Lucas wouldn't let anyone <laughs> wear right. underwear in space. Right. Well, I think she won the I think she won the bra wars later. Yeah, she definitely did. <laughs> in that first movie, it was sort of touch and go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so second question: uh, What are you watching now? As far as you know, TV shows like the, something that you must watch live or you know or you record it on your dvr but something that you're really into right now um i am so behind on everything i used to be so good at (laughs) keeping up with television and now i'm terrible at it and you know i usually don't watch things till they're done or the season's done uh but i am really loving riverdale um that oh, like I was Archie universe. Yeah, I was like an Archie fangirl. That and X Men were like my formative comics. And um I think what they've done with that 
mythology is actually super brilliant. It feels very modern. Um, the characters still feel like the characters in the comic book, but with like an update. Um, and I like that uh, the the girls in that show are so great. You know, I like that they really focus on Betty and Veronica's friendship because my favorite comic books were always the ones where they were just allowed to be best friends and they weren't really fighting over Archie. And that's definitely something they've done here. I love Josie and the Pussycats. Um, they are super mm. great. I mean, there is an episode where Josie like lectured Archie on privilege <laughs> and you know, I, I didn't think that was something I would see in like an Archie comic series. So I I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's like awesome. really addictive and very smart and I really like what they've done with it. See, I, I haven't watched it. So I, I was sitting here panicking because I'm like, how am I going to do a follow-up question now? She, <laughs> I, I, she picked something I haven't watched. But, okay, so you mentioned Betty and Veronica. Yeah. Let's say they had a love triangle with one of the characters on Friends. Who would it be? Oh, God. Um, hmm. Hmm. On Friends. I don't know. You know, I honestly, I always wanted and kind of really want on the show – Betty and Veronica to just run off with each other. I feel like that's, <laughs> I mean, that's honestly the pairing that makes the most sense. And I think kind of always has. You could have said like Rachel or even yeah, <laughs> like well, Vivi or something. Well, yeah, but just because they like ladies doesn't mean any lady. Like I feel like they, right, right. they would like ladies and would also be deeply into each other. That's awesome. <laughs> I thought everybody was into Rachel. That's true. I mean, I guess you could use you could use Rachel as the default answer, no matter what that question was. Since everybody is in love with Rachel eventually, but you know what? Everybody's in love with Veronica too. That's kind of a thing. So, oh wow! And Rachel did have a kiss in college with a woman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. I watch Friends too much. Right. <laughs> so here's the last question of the big finish: What are your top three movies of all time? Oh my god! This is another one that is like impossible to answer. <laughs> we should get three instead of one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, because there's always like something I'm going to forget. So I'll just like I'll kind of say what at the moment because I feel like it it change you know it changes from moment to moment. Yeah, like, it definitely I could be do. In a different different mood or whatever. Right. But um, I will say right now. Clueless because I've been watching it so much and I'm mm. just like appreciating sort of every facet of the brilliance of Clueless. Um, Star Wars because, you know, we've been talking about it and, or no, I would say Empire Strikes Back. I was thinking of sort of the whole Star Wars, like, trill, you know, the, the trilogy. Yeah. But, um, I, but my favorite of those is Empire Strikes Back. And um, certainly Star Wars is very important to my, my daily life and many of my mm. friendships. Um, and then I'll say the heroic trio because that is that uh, is still a presence in the second book, which I just turned in copy edits for, and <laughs> you know, so that's on my mind too. Um, that's still kind of a touchstone the characters go to; is something they kind of take a lot out of. Um, so those are three movies that are sort of like important to my work that have been on my mind a lot lately, and that I could probably watch forever. Those are all great. I'm I'm definitely going to have to catch that last one now because I mean, okay, uh, here's the thing. I I don't like that's one of those movies where I can really tell you if it's good. Like it's I, I watched it was such a formative thing when I watched it. It's, it speaks to you. It does. Watching it 
as like a sort of more fully formed adult, there are some things about it that are very weird <laughs> and don't really make sense. Um, it's re- I mean, it's one of those movies that it's really about the cool martial arts sequences and the costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, the story does not totally make sense. Um, although, I mean, I still have like such a soft spot for it. I don't really care, but I know some people, um, like a lot of people who read the book and then, and didn't know about the movie before, they're like, Oh, I'm going to go watch it. And I, I don't think it's on Netflix, but for a while it was on Netflix. And then <laughs> their reaction is either like, Oh, that was so good. Or why did you make me watch that? Why? So I'm just <laughs> going to warn you up front that it might not be to your like actual adult I'm, taste. It's, that's all good. But. I mean, I had, I had someone go like, you got to watch Clue. It's amazing. And I'm like, that, that movie, I, I did not I like that Clue. movie. <laughs> yeah. You like I Clue? Clue, uh, Clue, I, like I, Clue I haven't seen in years, but I remember loving it as a kid because it was like, the movie that our band teachers showed us when we had like a movie day, you know, when you had like one of those days where the te- nothing to do with yeah, music, where, like the teacher was like, "Oh fuck this, I don't want to like teach you today," or like it's almost summer vacation, who cares? Um, and for some reason, I feel like we always ended up watching Clue. So I did love Clue then. I, d- I don't know what my response would be watching it now. I watch it all the time. I love time. It was always on oh, HBO. Okay. Uh, Clue was always on HBO, and that's how I uh-huh. saw it. I loved it. I loved Tim Curry in that. It was confusing yeah. why there was four endings, but then I read about I, it later. Yeah, that is – well, I mean, I, I will say it, it has that iconic moment that I still use a lot, which is Madeline Kahn saying flames on the side of my face. Oh, yeah. Which I love her. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that would be like a – we did a guilty pleasure movie early on this uh, – or podcast early on this year. So that would definitely be a guilty pleasure movie. I, I just, yeah, it was. Well – I don't know. I feel like I always I don't really like it when people say guilty pleasure because I, I don't think any of your you should feel guilty about any of your pleasure. Like I feel like you like if you enjoy something, you just enjoy it. You know, like obviously clearly it's doing something right to make you enjoy it. Even if you're like from you know, you're sort of critiquing it like, Oh, I feel like this writing isn't very good or this plot point is weird or whatever. If you're getting some enjoyment out of it, it's doing something right. Well, guilty pleasure is also a shorter version of saying, I like this thing. I know I shouldn't like it because I'm so logical when it comes to story and stuff. Eh. <laughs> She's like, like, I'm not buying it. I think you can just like things. I think a lot of times, like, we, like, um, I mean, not to, like, make it, like, serious, but I feel like sometimes we also, like, devalue certain forms of entertainment by saying they're guilty pleasures. Um, you know, like, um, I, uh, like my book is definitely sort of, uh, in, in the romance genre and I'm a big romance reader. I love Mm -hmm. romance. Um, I think there are so many like wonderful books and wonderful authors in that genre and in the sort of surrounding subgenres. And I will champion it until I'm blue in the face, but there are a lot of people (laughs) who, who will consider it will be like, oh, it's a guilty pleasure. And I'm always like, if it's giving you pleasure, just enjoy it. Don't feel guilty about it. Like, clearly <laughs> it's, you know, and don't, and don't use that to sort of devalue that. Like, you know, you should, you should champion the things you find pleasure in. Well, you kind of turned me around there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you learned the theme of our podcasts on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we, can't, we can't use that. We used it once. You can. <laughs> All right, well, thank, 
Thank now, you again, Sarah, for, for, show, for showing up um, and <laughs> for finally <laughs> podcasting with us. We normally do a... Um, we normally do a gift face-to-face. We usually create something or make something that is ridiculous and give it to the person. But obviously, for logistical reasons, we can't do that. Um, but if you check your email, I did send over something right now. Okay, I will. Um, Actually, check outside your door. I'm there holding <laughs> the gift. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm staring at your window. No, I'm kidding. So uh, let me know when you see the email. Okay. Oh, you want me to open it now? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I turned. I closed my email because I didn't want the. Um, oh yeah, because it'll go boing, yeah, boing every time you get. Yeah, I didn't want it to, yeah. to make noise, but I'll open it again. That's okay. Okay, I see something. Oh, is that me? <laughs> Very nice. So I like it a lot. I, I don't know if you've seen our logo, but our logo is me and me and BJ as stick figures. Uh-huh. That's kind of our thing. So we started making oh, stick figures for all of our oh, that's all great. of our guests. So <laughs> thank you. I hope you like it. Um, I do. And I think that's it. We don't really have a formal ending because we have probably another podcast after this one. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Very, really appreciate it. We had a great time. Um, Thank you. Me too. Excellent. All right. Well, that was uh, Chew on This, a Nerd United podcast. I'm BJ. Vic. Until next time, folks, chew on that. Later.